0: We're this morning in this new series called Being the Church. and It's a look at the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been doing this for a while now, right? Saying what it really means to be the church. One thing I noticed this morning whenever our campers were giving their testimony about their week and stuff is that Ryan Kramer said uh, the 6th, 7th, and 8th graders built a church this week. That's awesome. I did hear about church building in there, right? About people becoming part of the kingdom of God, people growing and, and growing into it. But for many of us, we do think of a place, like even this place, as a church. We've got that conversation, people, people like that do like a church. Yeah, no, if you are the church, you as believers are the church, why would God himself empower parents to teach their children the faith? Because you are the church, and don't let that go past you. The church isn't an organization or institution, and it's not a building on the corner. It is the people of God being faithful to the call of God in this life. And so we have an opportunity to do that, each one of us. That means, by way of application, no matter where you are in your journey, you're invited to be part of what Jesus is doing. If you read the gospel ministries of Jesus, he was constantly inviting people to join him on the walk. Come with me, follow me, see what we do. And they get to participate. We'll talk today, actually, about how he sent some out as well, right? So we have these opportunities then to be the church. And the question is, well, what does it mean to be the church? we talked about that for the last several weeks, and we'll be talking about it for the several weeks to come now. Um, I, I said to you last week, there was some difference between like, prescription and description. I'll go back to that for just a minute, because this morning is a prescription. There's actually a prescription. So this morning, also gives specific instructions to the church. Last week, remember, it's like, and now the matter that you wrote to me about, he got into some really... The vital stuff about what it means to be the church and be in relation to one another, especially, specifically, in marriages and singleness in the church, there, there, are, there are God's words for you in that. If you've not read it, I would encourage you to go back and read it. It's first Corinthians 7, 1 through 17. It's powerful stuff. It's listed out there, one after the other. That God has a place for you in his kingdom work. And so, this morning, though Paul's going to say, and now I have specific uh, prescription for you. We're gonna find out what that is this morning. I'm gonna do what we always depend on battle I'm gonna pray and we're just gonna talk through the text this morning, so join me in, in prayer one more time this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be gathered together in your house with your people in your name. We come gathered in the ancient tradition of coming to the temple to recognize who you are, and yet we enter, we know now, through the very temple of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we're invited into intimacy with you. This isn't a far-off religion, a, a, a thing that we kind of look at from afar, but it's an intimacy that we share with you through your indwelling Holy Spirit. With that realization, that acknowledgement, that we claim no wisdom of our own, but we wait upon you to teach us I pray that the word would be applied deeply into our souls. We could be changed because of it. That your word would manifest, work itself out in our life in real ways. That means we could apply it. We could live differently because of Jesus. And not for our own efforts, but as a side effect of knowing him. So, would you do that work this morning? Would you give us wisdom as we open our hearts, open our minds, open our lives to the powerful transformation? have for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week. In 1 Corinthians 7, that is incorrect. It's actually 17 through 20. The page number is really incredible. 795 of you every Bible this morning I'm in the chair rows. We have free Wi Fi open Wi-Fi here so you can grab your device and pull it up on the Bible app. That'd be super cool. Right, I would encourage you to get eyes on the text though, so you don't take my word for what it says. You actually know, so see what the word says for yourself. One of the dangers that we have, yeah, that's last week's mic. Yeah, we're on 1 Corinthians 7, 17 through 40. Yeah. Um, so we're going to go ahead and continue in that. And uh, But I want to encourage you to get, to work, get your eyes the word for yourself. Because one of the dangers we have is to just take people's word for it, what it says. And not really look it up. I do this all the time. I look it up when people say things. Is that really what the word says? So we're going to pick up in verse 17 of chapter 7 of Corinthians. I'll read it. A couple of verses here and we'll jump in. Nevertheless, each one should remain in the place in life that the Lord has assigned him and to which God has called him. This is the rule, and that's the word I was telling you about prescription, that I lay down in all the churches. This is the prescription. What is the prescription? I'm going to read it again. That each one should remain in the place in life that the Lord has assigned to you and that God has called Called you? So here's Paul's prescription. Now he said the things you wrote about. Yeah, but here's the prescription I have for you, and I laid it down in all the churches. By the way, um, one of the things we did in dedications morning we said, um, with the help of his church, that's a big C capital, big capital C church. That's the church is globally right. Linked to our participate with table, the church globally and what God is doing in the life of their family. But here we're talking about the little c church. And he says, of all the little c churches, I prescribe this one thing. And I sum it up like this. Remain. There's the teaching. Remain, right? He says it two ways. Each one should remain in the light that God has assigned him and in which God has called him. But before we get into those two ideas, I want to talk about what it means to remain. Because it's not something that always comes. Some of us, I'll confess this morning, I'm a bit of a remainer by nature, right? So this one for me, it's not hard for me to stay. I always say I'm kinetic, right? If I'm in motion, I stay in motion. If I stop, I stay stopped, right? This is very like Newton's Law. That's how I work as a person. That's just me. But not everyone's the same, of course. There are people like my bride who's always in motion, always in motion, right? And it's very hard for her to remain. So I'm I'm admitting that on the front side because we're gonna get into some things that for me happen to be maybe easier, but also have a tendency
1: toward remaining
0: too much maybe, right? So we remain as a church. What does that mean? It means that we stay or abide. Here's another way you can say it, we dwell, or we wait, in your we wait for for a season. We're ready to go, but not yet. We continue, or we endure, or the last way you might interpret this, word is we live. See, you're never, never not doing anything. Even now. You're doing something. So we remain. This is the prescription that Paul gives to all the churches, not just the church in Corinth, but all the churches everywhere he says. Remain as you are. Remain where you are. I want to do one more thing. I want to flesh out some of the, the biblical stories about remaining, the, the same word, and we'll get into the application that Paul makes to the church in Corinth specifically. Because it's coming in the context of marriage, and we're going to get that, but I want you to see that it's about remaining. Here's some examples where it's used in Scripture. When Jesus sends out the twelve, he says, when you go into the city and you preach the kingdom of God to them, find the house of a God-fearing person and remain there until you're done. It means to dwell with that house. It doesn't mean to pop house to house. It means find a house in the community and dwell with that believer, live with that believer, as you proclaim the kingdom of God. That was Jesus in Galilee twelve, and that was you know that was part of his discipleship program for the uh, apostles Um, in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember Jesus was praying before before the cross, and and he this is after after the Last Supper, and, and he had told the disciples. You know, I'm going to go out and pray in the garden, and he said to them, remain here for a while while I go over here and pray. And he says, remain. And you know what they did? They fell asleep, because remaining is hard. It got sleepy, remaining over there in the garden of Gethsemane. Here's another one that's used. Jesus is cruising through town. There's a short dude named Zacchaeus, and I'm picking out the Bibles that he's short. I don't know how short shortest. but he's short. i can climb a tree, and it says, Jesus approached Zacchaeus, looked up, and said, Zacchaeus, I come to your house, and I'm going to remain with you. I'm going to dwell with you, Zacchaeus. Remember what happened? Zacchaeus came down out of the tree, took him home, right? And then Jesus changed Zacchaeus' his whole life. And he's like, I'm going to live totally different now. Why? Because Jesus remained with Zacchaeus. And then the last story that in the Gospels that comes to mind this morning is that there's two, there's two followers of Jesus walking along the road, and they're downcast because Christ had been crucified, and they thought he was the Messiah. They thought he was the hope of God. They thought he was going to fulfill the prophecies, and, it, and he had died. And he, there was three days now, and they were walking down the road to us. And Jesus cruises up alongside them, right? And then he says, "What are you talking about?" Tell them the whole story. And then they say, and then he tells them about the prophecies about himself. They don't see really who he is, and they beg him to remain with us, right? They're like just. Stay with us a little while, right? Jesus is walking on the road and he explains the scriptures. just plead it. beg him to come and dwell with them for a while. You know the story. He does. He enters their house with them. And their lives are changed forever. So this is the idea we get when we talk about what it means to remain as being the church. What it means to remain is this idea. It has some implications of faithfulness, of dwelling, of Of um, suffering or waiting, of of hoping, of believing. In spite of what things may look like. So, Paul lays it out here nevertheless, each one should remain. Each one, what? Each one, what? Each one who is believing in Christ. This is the first point this morning, and it's a very overarching principle, but it's this that believers don't leave. That's why we remain, because believers don't leave. It says, Nevertheless, each one of you should remain in the place of life, in the place of life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. Um, there's there's um, two tendencies that um, there's two things we see here. The first is that the Lord has assigned you where you are in life. I, I want to talk for a minute before we get into this about there's a tendency that. Before you know Christ as Savior, you're living your life and you're doing your thing, right? And then, then you're saved. You, you have this uh, realization of the relationship with Jesus Christ, the truth of who he is, the gospel breaks through your life in some way, and there's a tendency then that we begin to say to ourselves, oh no, now I'm a believer, I must change. And so you start changing everything in your life, right? And Paul kind of laid out two principles here of the truth of your salvation that is moved in. I say this because remember Corinth was a place of conversion. These people had come to faith, and they were coming from a couple of particular places. The first would be, they may have been Orthodox Jews who came to believe in Jesus the Messiah, right? So they have some Jewish heritage of their own, some faith that they were having to transition into this time of, of the believer of Christ. The other would be people who were far from God, who did not believe anything about Yahweh, or the, they were never orthodox anything, and now they're being included in the family of God, right? And they, there could be a tendency to um, to forsake things. As a matter of fact, put a little point on it. Last week, what we talked about, one of the reasons they wrote to the the, the um, to Paul was they said we've come to believe maybe we shouldn't touch women anymore. That's how holy we are. Right? We are not touch women at all anymore. And Paul wrote back to to correct them in that, that thinking. So there's two key realities that Paul breaks up here. And they're actually very clear in verse 17. Each one should remain in the place that the Lord has assigned to you. Right? That God knows where he puts you. This might come as a surprise to you, but God knew your circumstance when he decided to save you. He wasn't shocked. Did he save a sinner like me <laughs> you know he wasn't shocked you mean that guy that girl their history this isn't a surprise to god and so one tendency we have to flee from these things to, to kind of force a reset of our own life is that we don't believe that god is sovereign and placed us where we are where we are. And so it says, the Lord has assigned you to the place that you are. It says that he's appointed you. He's given you a place to be. It's a mystery to him. And then the second thing is this. The Lord has called you. Remain in the place that God has called you. So now your your space is transformed in a way because he placed you there. He saved you there. But then he has called you there. The word teleo means a voice. Someone say this morning, who was Woke up that morning, and I heard a still quiet voice that today is going to be a special day. Do something awesome. Right? That's a call. A call in a place. We begin to hear God reveal things to us. He uh, he has thoroughly arranged, or he has given an order, or he has appointed our calling in that place. So Paul says, um, this is the rule, this is the prescription that is done all the churches. One should remain in place in the life that the Lord has assigned him and to which the Lord has called him. Last Mosheus. And this is the fun part about being a Christian, is you get to walk around in it, right? The word, my favorite word, one of my favorite words, teo, means to walk around. It so says, walk around in the spirit of God. It means walk around in your life. Walk around and see new with new eyes the things that God is showing you about what really is going on. So here's how this works a little bit. I want to kind of flesh out a little bit. You come to faith in Jesus Christ and you saw the same job. Yep. You come to faith in Jesus Christ and you saw the same marriage. Yep. Still have the same parents. Yep. Have the same history. Yep. And then you begin to walk around with the Lord in your life and see what He has been doing. You get to participate in his kingdom work in your own life. Listen to me, in the intimacies and even the brokennesses and the oddities of your particular situation. Jesus wants to dwell there, right? So the rule that Paul makes is, listen, came of faith, praise the Lord, remain where you are. Dwell there. You heard the stories, right, in the scripture, and why Jesus and you see, this is one thing that we get wrong. We are we're Christians on Sunday at church, but not Monday morning at work. Now I'm not saying go to work and start quoting scripture. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying go with eyes to see. Invite Jesus into your day. How how much might it change things as if as you're walking through the office door or as you're going through the door of your school, or even as you throw your feet off the bed in the morning, you say, God, show me something today that you want me to know about you? Show me something in my, my situation that you want me to realize. Believe that he has you there for a purpose, a call. We often have that tendency to want to forsake um, others. This teaching, by the way, the reason I'm making this deal is this teaching came on the heels of encouraging believers to remain married to unbelievers. That's the person before this. He says, no, 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 stay. You're believing. How do you know if you wouldn't bring salvation to your husband or your wife? How, you can extrapolate that into other situations, because Paul's going to extrapolate into other situations. is bigger than marriage. Right? But it's like, how do you know if you're not going to bring faith into your co-workers' lives? By your being there. Not your preaching. Your being. your living with Christ. How do you know? If you're not going to transform the lives of your parents because you remain there, I know you're not going to transform the lives of your children because you remain there as a believer in Jesus Christ. So here's the, instead of having this tendency to cut ourselves off from the world and flee and all this stuff, here's the conviction is stay in your marriage. Of course, right? Um, Go back to work, to school as a believer. Keep hanging out with those friends and watch and see what God does. Remain. This is the rule he makes in all the churches. Verse 18, What was a man already, now he's gonna ask a couple questions, was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. That unique trick, by the way. Um, was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not become circumcised. That was more typical, right? You have to behave like me to be a believer. And Paul says, no, remain as you were when God called you. Why? Circumcision is nothing. Look at verse 19. And uncircumcision is nothing. But obeying the Lord's commands is what counts. Being faithful to the final word of God, the final word of God, Jesus Christ. Being faithful to the relationship of the Messiah. This is our act of worship. And this is our act of faith. We believe neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, he says, but obeying God's final words, his commands. Each what you were made in the situation that you were in when God called you. So here again, there's an overt, overt um, reminder that there are Jewish believers amongst them who are probably saying, no, but you're not really a believer, right? You're not really born again, are you? Until you look and act like me. And then vice versa. Well, you're Jewish, you're not really a believer, right? I really had a interesting conversation this week with someone who uh, about about um, theology and doctrine, and it's like we we're trying to assess is the other person truly a believer in Christ. What does that take? A confession that Jesus is Messiah, that He is God in the flesh. Everything else is a secondary issue. So we have this conversation about being born again, being a believer in Jesus Christ, and we stay, we remain. Why this kind of engage in this conversation together. Keeping God's commands of what counts. Alright. So then check this out. He switches again. So he goes from marriage to circumcision, which is of an origin toward religion, right? Like, whatever you were in when you were saved to remain, right? Um, but then he moves up the log again here. He says, verse 21, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. What? I can think of hardly any more oppressive situation to be in than to be a slave. I can hardly think of a more ridiculous situation to be in than to to be at someone else's beck and call all the time, burdened. You don't get to talk back. You don't get to do what you want. You don't have any freedom. It's just the most oppressive, ridiculous thing ever. And what does Paul say about it? Don't let it bother you. You know what he says? and care. What? Don't don't let it. How do you not let it bother you? Listen to me. Who's he writing to? The church. If you're in the church and you're a slave, don't let it bother you. What? Okay, so I said I can't imagine a more oppressive situation than, than being a slave to someone else, but can you imagine being a slave who knows the gospel of Jesus Christ that every person is made in the image of God and worthy of worth, and then you're being desecrated and desecrated by other people around you who are no better than you, and you're supposed to, ain't care about that? Like, really? Who do you think you are? I know the God of the universe. I know the God that made you and made me. Paul says, yeah, that's your situation. I don't care. Don't worry about it. This is a powerful teaching. going to tell us why in a second here. Because ultimately, it's for why. What does Paul say? You were a slave when you were called by the Lord. I missed, I skipped the verse. Hang on. you were a slave you were called, I Lord to trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do it. Here's the truth, man. Slaves should be free. Slaves should be free. One of the most the egregious parts of our own history is slavery in this country. One of the most toxic and broken and stupid things was to build our own future on other people's broken past. To, to take life of people and claim it as our own and then do it righteously. And let me confess this for a minute, by the way. People twisted scripture to support it. And people, it's not right. I was talking to that friend this week we were talking scripture back and forth.
1: And it's like, yeah, but you know the Bible says this, the Bible says that. And I said, do you know the state of using the Bible? The Jesus and he came
0: out of the desert, right? Now, am I saying I'm exclusive? No, What I tell you look at the Bible for what it says. Read the Bible for what it says, y'all. Look at it yourself. Ask the God who reveal Himself through scripture and the world to show you the truth. It's be twisted and maligned. It's twisted and maligned, right? But that's half the story. Because you know what an amazing part of the slavery story was? Faith. People who would go out and sing in a field. What can you see? We, (laughs) when they weren't allowed to believe. Being told they were outside. They said, yeah, but I'm inside. And proclaiming that truth. That we are image bearers of God. That we listen to. That we are image bearers of God. And one of the most powerful things that happens for me anyway in international missions. is to realize how big the scale and scope of the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And if the gospel of Christ requires everyone in your life to look like you and act like you and be like you, it's too narrow to be the gospel of one who, who is saving people from all nations. It's too small. It's too small. And so you know what that means? We all got energized Standing with demons. We all got excited when people were saying, That's not right. And we're like, Yeah, that's not right. It awoke something in us to proclaim the truth that all children are God's people, that all of them belong to Him, that they all are included in His kingdom. This is what the whole circumcision, uncircumcision thing was about, too. Who's good enough? But we're all invited. None of us are good enough. But we're all invited. They can participate in slaveship be free and listen to me, church, without awakening You've got to let the God, that's a gospel-oriented thing. It's not right. The Lord will bring these convictions upon his people. By the way, I said that, that people twist scripture to support slavery. The truth is that people open scripture to refute slavery as well. It's probably just perhaps the most people of God. Remember? It ought to settle disputes. What does the word say? The word says a slave should be free, lest you think I'm just saying each one should remain a situation. Were you a slave when you're called? Let it let it, don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do it. Why? Because look at 22. He who was a slave when he was called is now the Lord's freedom. Freedman. Slave. Woman. Already true in fact. Absolutely free. Free in the ultimate sense of the word, free. Free in the big picture, free. That's why, because the one who was called a slave is free in Christ. And we can back this down a bit, right? There is modern day slavery, by the way. It happens in sex trade. Happens in you know just this kind of wickedness. Any type of work abusing someone else for our own benefit, taking advantage—that's some kind of slavery. But there's these other kind of colored versions of it. So I want to talk about this. There was two models of slavery in the Bible. And you can read your Old Testament and see it. You you read along with the Bible, 365, you know when you're reading like, Conquests and kings and stuff, right? So there's all kinds of things that happen and are recorded in Scripture. So there's two kinds of slavery. One is the slavery we think of as slavery most often, which is someone snatches you and locks you up and forces you to, get, to get your, you know, be a servant, to be a, a slave. You don't have a choice. Your, your rights are stolen from you. But there's a second kind of slavery, which is indentured servitude, that means that you come into someone else's debt and you can't pay it back. And there's various reasons this happens. You, you, you have a you know, crime against money you owe and you can't pay it you get a servant. Or you owe something you have to go pay it off. And this honestly is, a, is um, an equally vicious modern view of our modern reality of being a slave or a servant. You can't get out. You've got to stay on the raft. You have got to keep running. You got to keep chasing. You got to keep pursuing because you owe everybody something and nothing's free. So I think both those things apply here. So if you're if you're in that situation when God called you, remain there. But when you can do your freedom, get it.
1: I want to tell you that while it's nothing in comparison to the egregious types of slavery that are in the capital cap slavery,
0: the, the reality is that I can, I became a believer and then I I realized I couldn't. Leave my job because I owed too many people too many things. I had too much debt out there, and I began to feel the oppression of having to work. Not that I didn't want to work; I wanted to work, but I didn't. I had to. I didn't have a choice. And what is Paul's admonition? He says, "Continue, to remain there. The slaves are truly free to begin to work, so when you can get the get the get the freedom, get it. It means don't be a slave." Oh, how can you get, make some connections there with your life, man, some things that maybe God is going to change? I have a couple questions for you, though. How can bearing up under a slave, under slavery or under a less than ideal situation glorify God? How does it glorify God? If you're feeling oppressed and if you continue to believe and stand faithful, how does God glorified you that? Or here's another question. How is God glorified when you gain your freedom later? Can't imagine the power of those owl wheels freedom. free. Bible says for the sake of freedom of Christ is sets free. For the very sake of freedom, they're set free. So then moving on then twenty-two. For he who was a slave when he was called is by the Lord, is the Lord's freedom. By the way, look at the 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 Lord now has a free man, a free woman, a free person that he could use as his people. They're free in his name. Man, this is a biblical narrative through and through, right? I can't go to it, but it's true. Similarly, like let my people go. Let my people go. All right. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. So here's the next thing: we remain because the free become slaves. That's a weird thing to say. And wait, Paul's just doing double speak now, right? He's like, well, if you're a slave when you're called, then you're free. And if you're free when you're called, you're a slave. No, you endure with people. You realize your freedom is not for yourself; it's for others. It's for you to extend for the sake of other people around you. A dear friend of mine um, was was talking about their their call to help people in their lives, and they said uh, they they use this great line they said um, nothing about us without us. Meaning, if I'm going to help someone, I'm not going to do anything until I talk to you about how it's going to help you and it's going to really help you. And I get that, and that's awesome and beautiful. And yet, this person is willingly giving away their future and their freedom to help these people find their future and their freedom. So it takes us, right? So the free one who is called becomes Christ's slave. Look at the the anointed slave. This is not the kind of oppressive, drudgery, slavery, but it's a a, a slavery to to, to freedom, to be free. To truly unshackle yourself and see what God might do. You were bought with a price, it says in verse 23. This is true for everyone. Everyone was bought with a price. So do not become again slaves of men. This is one of the realizations that we can have. One of the dangers of remaining going back is that we would tend to think, okay, that salvation thing is just for Sunday, just for church, my whole life, my life, I'm called to be oppressed or put on or whatever. It's like, no, you remain there, but you were bought with a price. And this is the power and the witness of the cross. And this is the magnitude and the glory of God. That he gave his own son that you could be free, that I could be free. And if you're sitting here saying, you're like, no, I'm not a slave, I'm free. That means he's calling you to be be a slave to Christ, to be anointed by God, and to participate in his kingdom in this life. Two great truths about Jesus Christ. Number one, he's God in the flesh. And number two, He died in whom I can be free this is his word. So we had the opportunity to, to know him, be with him, and have him dwell in us. We had the opportunity to remain. We were bought with Christ. It was, it was not our own. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. And he gave himself away that we could be free. He says, don't return them to the yoke of slavery. Don't go back. Those old ways. Brothers, each one is responsible to God as, wait, wait, each one as responsible to God should remain in the situation that God has called him. I've called back here to the theme, then, so you should remain. Why? Because we are ultimately responsible to God. And this is an acknowledgement, responsibility here, this is an acknowledgement of his authority and his ability. I want you to see both those realities, right? The two things was He had placed us where we were when He called us, and He's not ignorant of our circumstance. Remember those old stories of the scriptures were like, crap God, God, how long will we bear up? How long will we wait? How long until you break through? And God's like, I'm fully aware of the situation. I know what's going on. And so we know that God is aware and acknowledging our situation. So we're responsible to God in that he knows what's going on in our life, right? But the second thing is that we believe that he is able to do anything he wants to do, including set us free. That he is able to do anything he wants to do, including calling us into his anointed work, Brothers, in verse 24, that's Brothers and sisters of those who are believing, each one is responsible as responsible to God should then remain in the situation God has called us to. So there's this great faithful witness of a believer who will keep showing up, of a believer who won't quit, of a believer who doesn't walk away when it gets really, really hard. What a great witness. What a great and powerful reality. And why? Because we believe that God is sovereign and he's in what a lie the world tells us. It's too late. Not going to matter. Not going to help. Nothing can be done. You know what the gospel says? Not true. Not true. We're responsible to God. Each one of us, as responsible for the Lord, should remain in the situation that God has called us to. God is more than capable of changing things without us manipulating the situation. That's all I'm trying to say. It. That makes sense. Right? So you know what you do until so you know what you doing. So you keep doing what you've been doing. You keep showing up those places, keep doing those things. And you keep waiting until God shows you what's next. Because He's more than capable. And maybe you don't agree with me in this, right? That's fair. I said I'm a man, I'm also a great believer in God's ability to move us, right? And so it's like take hey, an act of God to moving you. So let God act, you know. Let God move us in our lives. So Paul's in circle back around here to the conversation about marriage because they're all freaking out. This is all answering the question of the reason they wrote to him in verse one of chapter seven. Now about virgins, as those who are not yet married, I have no command from the Lord, but I give judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, has been found trustworthy. What Paul says there is, I'm one who has found grace. I found grace in my life in the Lord. You can almost sense a little bit of Paul, um, of Paul knowing, uh, uh, um. He doesn't quite fit the mold of what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. He makes a strong case here for singleness. He makes a strong case, and he's going to make even a stronger case in a moment about singleness. He's like, I have been shown grace in my situation because of my situation. And so that's the next thing we're going to get to here is God knows our circumstances. He knows who we are when we call him. It's not a mistake. It's not an error. He didn't make him like, make a oopsie over here, you know, and actually invite him to his kingdom. But he knows what he's doing and Paul says this, I have received grace, mercy from the Lord and then found as one who has trust toward me. Remember Paul, man, what a terrible dude Paul was before he became a Christian. He was a religious guy. He was a wicked guy. He was the worst. And then he spends the rest of his life receiving the mercy and mercy and mercy and of God's grace. Because here's Paul. Then, because of this present crisis, I think it is good for you to remain as you are. So, like however you are, and that might sound like if you're reading, oh, Paul says remain single. And that's not what he's saying. Because look, because of the present crisis, you remain as you are. Are you married? Don't seek a divorce. Like stay where you are if you're married. Are you unmarried? Don't go looking for a wife. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who fit Mary will face many troubles in this life. They will have many tribulations in the flesh, is what the Lord says. And I'm trying to spare you from all this. Now, a couple things to say here. First of all, it was a crisis in the church of Corinth. There was a crisis, people coming to faith, because it shook the bedrock of everything that had stood before them in one of two ways. I already mentioned them to you, right? Either they were Jewish their whole lives, and now they have to... Reconcile the Messiah into their Jewish faith, right? Their history. they got to go back to the people and sit with mom and dad who don't believe Messiah has come yet. And they have to tell them that I believe Messiah has come in Jesus Christ. So that's a crisis. It's a lot to talk about over dinner, you know? And, and then the second crisis happened with people who are non believers in Corinth who were living overly simple lives and have been doing things that even pagans wouldn't do, where it says, right? That they've, that they've been sinning recently, that they have to stop, that this isn't what you're called to do. And so, this is the present crisis. How am I to live? But Paul's advice repeatedly to stay where you are. And as a matter of fact, he says, even if you're pledging married and then he says, stay pledged. Don't break the pledge, you're not sinning. Just trying to spare you extra trouble. So there's a real crisis. <laughs> Secondly, there's a real crisis of persecution of believers. Right? So you're coming into a time where everyone is persecuting everyone, and it's really vicious and wicked. And he's like, you're going to suffer a lot if you're couple. You're going to suffer for yourself, you're going to suffer for your wife. You're going to suffer for yourself, you're going to suffer for your husband. It's going to be a really hard road. And all the better if you can suffer alone. So Paul's kind of writing to the present crisis. So it's very specific as well the letter. All right, but you know what I'm saying? I'm just trying to spare you the tribulation of the flesh, right? Verse 29. Here's the next teaching. What I mean then, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. And so this is what Paul's on about, right? Life is short. Time is short. And this is the question we can ask when you say, how long, O oh Lord, should we suffer? Here's the truth. It's not gonna last very long. If, if, if it lasted the day you were born till the day you die, you can say, that's a long time, Bill, until you until you pan back and pull back and look at the scale of history before you and after you, and then on into eternity. And all of a sudden, it's this blip. It's this little bitty spot in our life. See, if you don't believe there's more to lie? And this life feels really can't suffer for more than a day or two. I got pain. I get anxious. I can't wait, oh Lord. All this time I'm wasting time. I got things to do. I got I got to accomplish stuff, or I got I got to make a prayer. I got to make my mark. I got to leave my mark. I got to do all these things. And it's like, wait a minute, man. That's only true if you don't believe eternity is forever. If you don't believe in the continuity of relationship, because if you do, this time is short. The word says like a an eye. It's like. a April, this here today, gone tomorrow. That sounds like, oh man, right? Guess what? How long can you bear up if it's a short amount of time? How long can you do something that's for a short period before a greater period? This is what Paul's teaching. The time is short, church. What I mean, believers, is that the time is short, now, on, here's some teaching. Those who have wives should live as if they don't. He doesn't mean don't be faithful. He means don't cling that. That's your highest thing. Look, I'm not. Look how good I got married. So, what? In the, in the scheme of things, does it really matter? You should live as if you have none. Those who mourn as if they don't mourn, man, the life was fairly suffering. But you mourn for a season, and, and, and even if it's all life, it's brief. Those who are happy, as if they were not. So, he puts he puts, um, uh, lives. He, puts, he puts marriage versus singleness, then he puts mourning versus happiness, and then he puts those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, and those who use things of this world as if they're not engrossed with them. So owning things versus renting things. These are small issues because this world in its present form is passing away, is what the word says. This, this, the condition, the present condition is passing, it's not forever. It's for why. And, and this is the encouragement of the gospel that we can endure, that we can remain, that we can be faithful, because it's not forever. There's a saying in our culture you um, only live once, right? And young people will flash on in this life. Just be crazy because it doesn't matter, you know. And like every generation has that thing to do, you know. Like it's like we're the rebels, we're gonna rebel, it's gonna be awesome. And then we all realize that you have to live with all those decisions because it's a longer life than you thought. Uh, well, okay. So it's it, you know, time is short. I mean, it's passing. The world is current structure its current configuration is passing away, slipping through our fingers. But there's a longer thing coming. And this is where we're going to end. Verse 32. I'd like you to be free from concerns, Paul says. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. See, here's Paul's big advocacy for being single. You can be dedicated totally to what God is doing in your life when you're single. How you can please the Lord. Verse 33. But a married person is concerned about the affairs of this world. About how he can please his wife. And his interests, his His is therefore, divided between the two. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. See the equality here. He's talking the same thing for men and women. It's not different. They can be concerned for the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman becomes concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her own husband. Right? And so there's this kind of idea that you have divided um, allegiances as a married person. So Paul's advocating pretty heavily with nothing broken in singleness. As a matter of fact, it allows undivided attention, undivided devotion to the Lord. Uh, I'm saying this for your own good. Not to restrict you, but that you may have a right way of undivided uh, uh, devotion to the Lord. So it's like permissive. You're free. The obligation to marriage. They're also free to marry if God's calling to do that. If anyone thinks he's acting improperly to the, the version he's engaged to, and she is getting along in years, and he feels he ought to marry, then he should do what he wants. He's not sinning. Right? So there it is. He should get married. But if the man who has settled the matter in his own mind is under no compulsion but has control of his own will, here it is, it's a self control issue, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, well, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. Here's Paul advocating there's nothing wrong for remaining single. Um, a woman is bound to her husband, and in this is the last thing I'm going to say about this. This is so funny, but a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. <laughs> there you go. Time and short. Are you sick of your husband and wife? Okay. Time is short. Ain't gonna last forever. I love that. Only bound as long as you live, but if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes. <laughs> I tell this all the time. Choose better next time. That's my advice to her. <laughs> but he must belong to the Lord. Now, see, Paul does have some teaching. He's like, if you're believing in Christ, you're not something i be a believer. Why? Because you can serve the Lord together in my judgment she is happier she stays as she is and it's single widowing, but I think I too have the spirit of God and so we have this idea that uh, time is short that's my um, what is the i um, ball that song you know praying through the time I love that so it's, it's for this life only to make it more now here's the thing <clears throat> why does Paul this stuff to the church about marriage and singleness and touching with not just one else that? Like why I said last week marriage is not the gospel it's not the good news. You get to be married and have a husband and wife and perfect whole life. As a matter of fact, if you get married, and are not perfect at all. That's the reality. You're going to live in that reality for the rest of your life, right? Marriage is not the gospel. Here's the deal. We're remain because the gospel is bigger. The gospel is bigger than that. I want to come back to that because here's the truth. These things are for this life only. We wait in this life only. Because there's coming a the day of culmination, of, of proper, fulfillment of all those things that God has awakened with rightfully earlier. God's awakening the spirit in you. There's a culmination coming, and it's considered the marriage of the bridegroom of God, God's self. It's Christ is the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, and we are the bridegroom. He's the head of your body. We are the one flesh, united with him. and Therefore, we have this reality that there's a bigger gospel at play that we can be faithful to. That God will save us. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is preparing a wedding banquet, that all who believe get to partake in, and that everyone at the table is equal, and that all of us are invited to taste and see that he is good, to know forever God who made us. And I get that that's a big, huge truth, but it's a big, huge truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a bigger thing. I don't know if you believe that's true, for but I just want to say it, I hope you do. And I hope that if you become kind of bored with Jesus and bored with the gospel, that you would like wake up and, and, and go back to the table and have the conversation again. I was so excited to hear this week about a camp went and how they sense God was moving. Camp. And 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 I think, again, camp time is short. Like, you feel like at first, by like, Wednesday, it's going to be over, and all of a sudden, it's over. You're out of there, right? That's like a snot, like a brief view of life. So I hope that we wouldn't spend our lives indifferent toward God and different I'm going to invite you to respond to him today. I'm going to ask you to do a couple things here. Consider where you are in your life. I want you to consider your circumstances. God knows what they are. Are you believing the lie? He doesn't know. He knows. Are you believing lies that God's not able to change things? We can. So the question is then why or men? Or why not? Why are we change it? Or when we hold the gospel? I'm going to ask you to pray with me real quick, and then we're going to celebrate the even the other day or when just all the education stuff saying that too much. Pray with for Father God. We thank you so much for um, the power of your word, the truth, and the gospel, and way you break through in every way. And Father, I just pray a prayer of thanks that you invited us into your kingdom. Sinners um, as as though we are, and if we, we get to participate with you, it's almost too much to fathom. Lord, we've said great truths about your text today, great truth that your Spirit has taught us through your word, Lord, but we need it to be made real in our life. And, and I know. As we gather together today, there are circumstances that for some of us are, are great uh, joys, and we get to celebrate. We can't wait. And I just pray, Father, that as we, we celebrate, we invite you in that celebration, and we just celebrate with you what you're doing in life, we never leave you out of our praise offering. And we praise you, Father, for your faithfulness, and things are going well for us. And there's some of us in situations we don't want to be in. We're like, ah, we don't like this anymore. We're tired of this. Father, would you help us to find you in the situations that we're in, I'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear the things you're doing around us. Father, I'm going to ask you to convict us of the place you're calling us. Like, invite us to participate. You've already done that, but I'll show us how we can participate in the kingdom work where we are. That, 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 that there's not some distant out there thing, but right where we are that we are faithful. And Father, I pray, that with any of this stuff, we'll that we realize that we would be faithful. And we will be found to year, and we spite of everything else going on. It's time to shorten life with brothers, and you can All through the day of the banquet, all for the day of the peace, all for the time of celebration that you wish. Lord, I love you so much, we pray you Jesus' name, amen.